1: Today's podcast is brought to you by Fedora, a public blockchain with programmable privacy. Fedora has on-chain confidentiality for stablecoins, wrap tokens, NFTs, DeFi, and more. Fedora solves the privacy issue inherent in today's blockchains, which is confidentiality, auditability, programmability, and interoperability. Fedora provides you with the tools, documentation, and support to help you build your applications. For more information, go to Findora.org. Again, that's fedora.org. And now for today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Crypto Current. Your host here, Richard Carthon. And today I have a special guest all the way out in the Bay Area working on a really cool project called Fendora. He's the VP of product at a really cool company coming to make this a reality. Uh, We have Warren. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Richard. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for joining us. Before we
1: dive into all the really cool on-chain confidentiality for stablecoins, wrap tokens, NFTs, DeFi, and so much more that is on Fedora. first, I want to learn a little bit more about you. Can you give us a little bit of background on yourself?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, I was born and raised in California, kind of classic California surfer guy, still surf. I ended up going to undergrad at Northwestern out in Chicago, got exposed to the wonderful Midwestern hospitality, made a lot of great friends there, played a little bit of uh, American football in the Big Tens, hung up my cleats and started getting into tech more deeply. I did a a grad program at Harvard. And that's where I started uh, my first tech startup. We had a, a small acquisition, which led to a series of two other startups in the hardware space, which didn't work out very well. Hardware is, as they say, is, is hard. Back then, it was still very expensive. You couldn't, uh, we didn't have access to 3D printers like nowadays. So the rapid prototyping was several months and thousands of dollars. I love seeing, you know, all the advancements in, in the hardware space to make things cheaper. That's pretty much it. And then I uh, one day stumbled on, on crypto Well, let me stop you there
1: real quick. So, like, what's amazing is you have this unique background where, you know, you got to go play sports in in college. I did as well. And, like, I think being a student athlete and then going into the academics, you kind of bring that intensity of what you want to study and what you want to learn kind of off the field and you make it something you're very passionate about. And you really want to be incredible at your craft at what you do. And so, it's cool that you were able to take that into technology, able to get into as amazing school as Harvard, and then to go on and be in the entrepreneurial space. And so going into mining and then figuring out like how that the 3D graphing and then taking that space, I believe, over into mining, can you tell us a little bit how that like kind of correlated into your crypto journey and how that all started?
0: Yeah, definitely. We were doing a lot of hardware kind of PCB design, which required some access to servers. I spent a lot of, you know, nights that were just, you know, basically doing the renderings of these 3D images of of the hardware. One night I was just on Twitter, I think it was in 2011, and someone linked to this interesting kind of digital cash. And I clicked on the link and it was linked to the Bitcoin white paper. You know, I read through it. It's actually, it was, you know, it's, it's pretty readable if anyone's actually read it. It's only nine pages. I read it again. I read it again. And, you know, now everything just started kind of rotating going, man, this is really cool. I think I went to bed at like 5am, you know, that morning, you know, thinking about it the next day, I decided to actually spin up uh, the original Bitcoin QT client, which is the uh, original wallet and kind of client to to manage a node and actually got a miner running on my on my laptop, because you could still mine on on the CPU, then it was a hobby, basically, from that period on, you know, for about two years, you know, eventually, you know, the, the hash rate got, you know, increased and, you know, CPUs became you know, no longer uh, competitive. So then you can, we upgraded like the GPUs. And once it went to, into ASICs, that's when I, I knew like I wasn't going to be able to compete with the. But, you know, I got exposed to the technology and it was just a, a great way to kind of put your foot in, you know, without getting like overly involved. But I also noticed yeah I started to notice in 2013 that like some legitimate entrepreneurs were starting to enter the space venture capitalists were investing money in in these entrepreneurs it was no longer becoming kind of like a fringe technology that's you can only find on different like IRC or or different chat forums. It was actually people are showing faces saying, "I'm working on this technology. I believe in it." It was becoming at that point what we thought more mainstream, but had no idea what how mainstream that would get in the, in the sh- you know short course of ten years. No doubt,
1: man. It's really cool that you were able to be exposed to. Bitcoin as early as you did 2011 and be able to read the white paper over and over again, it clicked and then it start mining on a laptop. And so as you start to look into this and you're like, okay, this is becoming more legitimate. This is something I need to pay attention to. At what point did you then get your career more into the crypto
0: space? In 2013, I was going through the painful process of shutting down the, the, the last of the, the two hardware uh, startups. You know, I've been doing this mining and stuff and I noticed that more and more attention was being drawn to, to crypto. So I started playing around with the technology itself and, you know, coming up with some ideas on what could be built in the space, moved out to the Bay Area and actually raised a seed round from uh, Tim Draper, Mark Benioff, the boost VC, you know, run by, uh, Tim's son, Adam Draper and, uh, Brayton, those guys were just like super crazy, but it was a fun environment. So that's really
1: cool, man. So now it's 2011 and you've been in this space for two years now and you start to see, you know, you checked out the white paper, read it multiple times and you're saying, wow, this is a legitimate thing. Is this the point at which you decided this is where I want to start to build and and work in my career?
0: At the time, I think in like 2013, I'd you know been doing a little a bit little bit of mining at the you know as a hobby, kind of like tending to a garden. You get some good fruits, and sometimes not. Back then, the network in you know, the Bitcoin network wasn't as stable as it is today. So a lot of like the individual nodes would kind of drop off. I had just gotten through the process of actually shutting down my my second and last hardware startup was uh kind of looking for the next thing I wanted to really dig, you know, sink my teeth into and I went back to, you know, my hobby saying, "Wow, you know, maybe I parlay this into an actual career or at least a job." You know, at the time like no one's hiring and I had been a, you know, entrepreneur for several years, so I immediately thought, "Okay, I want to start a company in 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 the space." Came up, you know, with, with, with some ideas, met a few people when I and uh, moved out to uh to the Bay Area. And uh, raised funding for a company called Hedgy that you know I co-founded with a few others. Uh, it was effectively one of the first Bitcoin OTC wholesale markets. So we actually built a platform, a smart contract platform on Bitcoin, uh, using Bitcoin script and multi-sig uh, technology. At the time, you know, miners weren't venture-backed, they were kind of just small. So we wanted to introduce and and kind of build out and help build out an OTC market, you know, for Bitcoin, which really didn't exist at the time. This platform would kind of help the Bitcoin miners to to sell to institutional investors, which were, you know, KYC and everything. And it gave the institutional investors, you know, access to, you know, large, we call blocks of Bitcoin. And particularly like Bitcoin that, that didn't have much transaction history. So institutions kind of liked because they knew it was like fresh coin. So we built that out for a couple of years. We ended up selling the, the platform to a company called Wire, which is kind of, uh, they were you know doing a lot of stuff back then. We actually
1: had uh, someone previously on the show from Wire. So that's awesome.
0: Yeah. And then 2016, I think, so I actually joined uh, Ripple uh, at the time and, you know, for a Bitcoiner like me and like all my friends joining Ripple was like, whoa, that's that's a completely different, you know, technology. But I was, I, I kind of had wanted to get exposure to more technology outside of just classic kind of UTXO style Bitcoin networks. I worked at Ripple on the product team. Worked on a variety of different of you know open source protocols, some of the platforms and products. Built out some of the the enterprise products, and generally just had a really good time. You know, Ripple's a very well run kind of company. You know, recently decided to uh, after after four and a half years and in, in investing there, uh, you know, decided to kind of jump ship and and and, uh, and and start something new.
1: Man, so again, a very robust. Background in the crypto space, and with all of that being able to go from one company to another seeing these opportunities seeing how everything has been able to grow and kind of gets you to this current place where you are where you're now starting your own company again in in, in doing fedora, what made you want to leave ripple and create this so first of all, you know what is Findora and what is the problem that you're trying to solve right now in this space yeah, sure I
0: had found out about fedora. Through the Stanford Blockchain Conference, I think a couple of years ago. And it was actually a research project back then. Uh, and they the researchers were doing some interesting work, particularly on, you know, using zero-knowledge proofs to introduce privacy to, you know, public blockchain. I saw an opportunity to join uh, you know, what's now called Discrete Labs as the VP of product. You know, I joined at a time where you know, Fedora was still very much kind of in the research phase and hadn't really been production or commercial or industrialized into a, a commercial or, or uh, production blockchain. And you know, I thought this might be an interesting, you know, way to uh to kind of uh you know parlay some of my some of the lessons I've learned in talents that you know I've picked up, you know, over the course of the last several years working in blockchain to apply that to a new layer one blockchain. So Fedora is uh, I've heard some people call it a, uh, a more programmable version of Zcash or a uh, more ethical Monero. Those are just like what you know other people kind of refer to it. And I'd say, yeah, you want to call, uh, call it whatever you want to call it. Those you know, seem actually pretty applicable. It's more programmable than Zcash in, in the form that you can actually issue uh, tokens, particularly private tokens on the network. So imagine like an ERC 20 style token but that can be issued and managed in a private way and you know there's a lot of reasons why that's important particularly around kind of like stable coins but you have the option you know to, to be you know fully private or, or uh, more transparent just like a, a classic you know Bitcoin transaction. so uh, there's a lot of kind of choice that a user can have on, on like if they want to maintain their privacy or not
1: right? It's amazing that you're going in from an element and even just using those two correlations between Zcash and a more ethical Monero, I immediately could picture what's trying to be accomplished. And as you're looking at privacy, because obviously privacy is very near and dear to you and, and and also being able to have a way to create something on top of your platform that others can use and and, and send out. What do you think as people begin to use Fedora? like what do you think are some of the use cases that immediately people would be able to come and, and do? We all know there's a race to acquire more Bitcoin. Why not earn more with what you already have? With Tantra Labs app, you can put your Bitcoin to work with up to 12% interest backed in Bitcoin per year, currently the highest interest rate in the industry. So how does it all work? First, go to tantralabs.io and follow the steps to sign up. Second, after approval, deposit as much or as little as you like. Third, sit back and watch your Bitcoin work for you at 12% interest back per year. Lock in your 12% now by signing up at tantralabs.io, or you can click on the link in our show notes and on our website.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I go, it kind of goes back to, uh, I think there's a lot of great projects out there, uh, you know, and every, everyone's kind of, you know, passionate about their, their projects. But there are very few projects that are actually purposeful. And purposeful meaning, you know, they actually solve a problem. So I think the Fedora blockchain particularly solves an interesting problem around privacy. To date, I think the cryptocurrency or blockchain kind of industry has failed when it comes to privacy. You know, the, the Bitcoin white paper, for instance, you know, nine pages, it only dedicates a half a page to privacy and the suggestion is basically keep your public key private which doesn't make sense cuz if i want you to send me bitcoin i got to share my public key and then it's oh rotate your key so that you know every transaction is 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 you know it can it can be changed but that doesn't really mask the the actual unspent you know transactions that well and then also it's not tenable for something like an account based you know blockchain so there's a lot of privacy guidelines on like what to do, but they're like, some of them are like 12 steps and require like, you know, VPNing and, and, and doing, you know, a bunch of like advanced kind of trade craft that, that most people aren't just going to do it. They, they, they don't want to go to that extent. So I think, you know, in some ways, you know, we failed at, at privacy and, and, it, and it starts with making privacy more, you know, simpler and more accessible, making it optional, but also default, building it from the ground up. So that, that's really what Fedora's kind of focused on is making, you know, those privacy systems Really, really useful, and making them so easy to use that you know they just they can be used by default. It's like very similar to when the you know the dawn of the internet before there was uh, SSL or or um, TLS, you know, to, to you know the HTTPS to make uh, browsing more secure and private. We're kind of in that phase right now where you know people can. Basically, you know, and understand exactly what you're looking up online. People can watch what you're paying, you know, for or transacting on these. I don't think that's what we want for for users. So Fendora is kind of focused on that. A lot of use cases that kind of build on that. One is just classic payments use cases. Two is, you know, token issuance and tokenization of different assets. And then we recently actually introduced uh, Ethereum, the Ethereum virtual machine or EVM support. For fedora so you can actually use ethereum pre-compiled contracts on fedora you can also use all the ethereum tools like truffle to deploy and manage smart contracts on, on fedora and you can also you know issue uh, similar to erc 20 tokens or the uh, erc 721 non-fungible tokens or nfts on fedora now the only wrinkle is the evm piece isn't we haven't introduced privacy to that piece yet and then eventually, you know, we will introduce more privacy to, to the EVM, which will we hope, you know, will will enhance the kind of retention of some of those users that are already utilizing, you know, some of the, the core technology.
1: Yeah. You know, when you're going with a lot of information with like zero proof knowledge and creating privacy and doing that, as soon as you bring in the Ethereum blockchain, unfortunately, a lot of that kind of goes out the window. And so it's very interesting to see how you're going to be able to still have the flexibility and the fluid fluidity of being able to like go within these blockchains, have that interoperability, but still provide that privacy. So I think however you're able to create the same type of systems on your platform that play well with Ethereum, this could link up to more interoperability with other platforms looking for more privacy and secure ways as well. Is that kind of the play right now? I was like figuring out how do we do this? with like an ethereum blockchain and then how do we scale that to other blockchains that are out there?
0: Exactly, yeah. And you know, the way the way I look at, you know, fedora, it's kind of like a uh, third generation blockchain. And what I mean by that is third generation blockchains are incredibly modular, meaning they use like different components. So like for instance, we, you know, fedora uses tendermint for consensus, which is a modular consensus design which can be pulled out, you know, or or plugged in. And so we use that because Tenderman is, is hardened, it's battle tested. We, we think it, it scales really well. We decided to use that, you know, the modularity of the, the data storage layer and everything. So we've, you know, created all these modules and kind of glued them together. It helps it better for, for testing and kind of uh, more, you know, security with the, within the system. But, you know, third generation blockchains are also interoperable. So at that layer one, extending that interoperability through trustless bridges, and, you know, other ways to kind of extend, you know, into these other networks, we think is really, really important. Bitcoin is kind of a monolith in the sense that it doesn't really work well with other networks, which is by its design, which is fine. You know, I'm a, still a big in Bitcoin, but I think the, the market needs more interoperable blockchains as well, where you start to see, you know, interconnectivity across these blockchains which are, you know, each blockchain is good for certain kind of uh, uh, use cases and, and, and attributes. But being able to transfer into other networks should be seamless. Unfortunately, it's not. They're very siloed. So third-generation blockchains need to be, you know, more interoperable too. And then finally, you know, you got third-generation blockchain also need to be able to support the notion of uh, self-sovereign identity. So that's one thing that has been missing from a lot of, Blockchains, but in order to have identity, you have to have privacy. So that's kind of the fourth pillar, where privacy at the layer one can support you know more embedded identity at the you know across you know chain. Uh, you can use that that identity for the for collateralization and everything for from for DeFi in, in a way that you still have control over your own identity and and who has access to it. So I think that's really the, the those are the kind of the four pillars that that we see is as these like uh, a third blockchain so that's what i think the future is and there'll probably be you know, more advanced blockchains to come out you know after in, in the future but i think that's like cutting edge right now
1: and i think you have a lot of great points there and as you go back and relist to those four points and everyone listening right now i recommend that you do that it's getting to the point where all four of those are working seamlessly just like you said about interoperability it's a very hard gap to feel in my opinion. And when I think about mass adoption, it's when you have all four of those working, you don't have to think twice about it. They're just happening. Just like you said, the way that I like to frame it is that there's a lot of islands that are being built and not enough bridges. And the companies that are coming together to create the bridges to merge all of these amazing islands together and build these highways so everything can flow a lot better. You being from the Bay Area, you know the Golden Gate Bridge, how important that was for building that and allowing a better flow of going from one side of a city to another, it's so important that companies begin to create these bridges, which is interoperability. And the four pillars you just said, as people are able to create them together, that's what I see as that next step of truly getting to a place where anyone can pick this up and start using it in a more comprehensive, secure, and and safe way. Yeah,
0: definitely. I love the the bridge analogy. It's and you have bay area sports teams that are Oakland A's and the the San Francisco Giants which happen to be both be good this year they're connected by a single bridge right so you get fans on both sides uh you know there's a lot of tribalism in crypto so maybe it's a it's a way to connect the fans <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly man but with
1: with that said you know there's a lot going on in the greater crypto world and you know we we talked a lot about privacy The reoccurring every year, every bull cycle, every time it happens, one of the things that typically comes up is China banning crypto. What do you think? Why do you think this is a reoccurring thing that just keeps coming up?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So you know, I remember first kind of took a or started indicating that they were going to you know come out with some something regarding crypto back in I think it was December 2013, and that was right after you know and raced up to a 1000, I think, uh, per, per coin and, and the market and you know, all the headlines came out and everything and trying to follow it up in early 2014, you know, saying they were serious about, you know, regulating cryptocurrency, then you didn't really hear again, you know, from them until I think it was 2017, which happened to be, you know, the another bull run. There were a few times where China indicated that they're going to crack down on cryptocurrencies. And I think this was the first time they said they're going to start cracking down on cryptocurrency exchanges, which are really the on-off ramp for people to access cryptocurrency. And then again, the market crashed and then like no one heard about it again. It wasn't until, until you know just last year or, or earlier this year kind of, you know, again, kind of revisited it. But I think what's happening is each time, you know, the, this comes out, it's actually a build. They're building on top of each other. It starts to kind of climb the hierarchy within, you know, the Chinese kind of regulatory regime. And this time, I think it's actually, you know, it has some. it's starting to have some teeth. It hasn't quite reached the level of enforcement, but I think it's starting to be kicked around at the legislative level and you get, you know, organizations like the, this, the China, uh, Chinese Central Bank uh, that are starting to voice, you know, that, that, uh, that they are going to regulate And ban you know uh, cryptocurrencies largely because you know China is piloting you know their version of a central bank digital currency called the digital yuan. So they want to make sure that digital yuan is widely adopted. They don't want any other cryptocurrency competitors, even though you know they have very different utilities. Where Bitcoin is very much you know what they call store of value, it's a volatile asset. It's not really used that often in, in payment type you know use cases. Lightning Network you know, with, as, a, as an exception. So I think, you know, China is tightening, tightening up on cryptocurrencies largely because it wants to, you know, maintain control. And I think that, uh, you know, the country, you know, wants to uh, uh, control things. So I think, it, you know, it's, it, it doesn't exactly have that, that set of teeth yet, but I think there is starting to be some movement and uh, you start to hear more and more of these miners based in China that are going overseas some are setting up shop, ironically, you know, in the U.S. Early days of mining, U.S. actually had a, had a fair amount of, of miners. And now we're starting to see that industry return, uh, which is in, in some respects really good for, for the U.S. innovation. I think the U.S. has its own set of issues, trying to create uh, more clarity around how the American government's going to regulate cryptocurrencies. But at least they're not taking that strong cut like China is. And they're starting to listen more to some of the entrepreneurs and the creators and the investors and trying to be reasonable about the regulation. So it's definitely, you know, it's something to, to be concerned about, but I don't think it's these, these technologies are decentralized and there will always be, uh, you know, that, that decentralized element to them. So in, in some ways they're anti-fragile They can't really be shut down, but they can make it difficult. A
1: lot of great points to unpack there. The big one I'm going to take away is the CBDC. So the centralized banking digital currency, the digital one that China's trying to do. Ultimately, they want to be able to track everything. And that's a great way to do it. It's all on blockchain. It's a great way to have control over your people. And cryptocurrencies are a threat to that. So it makes sense that they're going to slowly try to evaded. But just like you said, crypto is inevitable. You cannot stop it. People are going to keep finding ways. I think it's going to be one of the greatest liberators for financial wealth that the world has ever seen and has already proven that and will continue to prove so as time goes on. So Warren, you've given us so much to think about. You've given us a lot of great information. What is the final thought that you want to leave with all of our listeners here today?
0: I'd probably say, you know, be sure to keep your eyes on the topic of privacy. As these companies, you know, grow bigger and bigger, the the fangs of the world, you know, privacy is becoming a bigger and bigger topic. As users, we have to make sure that we defend our privacy and ensure that we have control over it. It's something that should be, you know, also applied to to cryptocurrency. We don't want to, you know, recreate the same mistakes that were made, you know, early days in the internet, where you know you just ended up with, you know, a a handful of companies that kind of control a lot of the access. We want to ensure, you know, through the you know Web three development that you know users do have more control, and that that starts with the privacy. So I would definitely encourage people to get more involved, you know, support privacy initiatives kind of across the board. Inside and outside of, of uh, crypto and blockchain.
1: That's a final great thought. Uh privacy is important. Um, it's essential to your livelihood and it's important that you keep we keep all furthering our, our lives and how we can keep things more secure. So I appreciate that final thought. What are ways that people can connect with you and learn more about what's going on with Fedora?
0: So you can follow fedora uh, uh fedora officials the Twitter handle uh fedora.org is the uh the the uh, website for you know the protocol uh, I'm on Twitter at war Paul you know try to t- taper into the 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 crypto uh, Twitter every now and then although it can be quite interesting <laughs> so yes, it can. It's definitely a, fu- a fun bunch so uh
1: yeah sounds awesome well again Warren thank you so much for spending time with us and for everyone listening stay cryptocurrent Hey, cryptocurrency crew. We want to give a quick shout out to all of our faithful listeners out there. It's been an amazing journey and we really appreciate your support throughout the years as we've been growing as a community. Each episode, we decided that we would start sharing some of the reviews that you were leaving for us. For today, we would like to share this review. Today's review comes from Pirate M who said, this podcast is great. I didn't know that much about cryptocurrency before I started listening, but now I feel great. The topics covered and guests are all fantastic. Additionally, the information is easy to understand even if you aren't that well versed because of how entertaining the whole show is. We sincerely appreciate this review and all reviews and would like to ask that if you're enjoying our show, please take a quick moment to go and leave a review on our podcast so that hopefully we can be highlighting your review next. Simply go to our show notes or go to our website where we have a link where you can share your review today. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information on today's episode and all of our episodes, please visit us at www.crypto-current.co. You can also find a link in the show notes. Want to stay up to date in the latest news in cryptocurrency? Sign up for our newsletter today. You'll receive daily emails Monday through Friday that are personalized and curated content specific to you and your interest, powered by artificial intelligence. You can either go to our show notes or go to our website to sign up today. Are you an accredited investor looking to invest in cryptocurrency? Crescent City Capital can help. Go to CrescentCityCapital.com for more information. I don't know if you've noticed, but the quality of our podcast each week are improving. I can only thank my amazing producer, Andrew Deritter with Derrida Productions, who has been putting all of this together. If you have any podcast, music, or audio needs, please go to DerridaProductions.com. That's D-E-R-I-T-T-E-R Productions.com.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Cryptocurrent with Richard Carthon. We'll be back with more exciting developments from the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency next week. But until then, stay Cryptocurrent.